text for the sermon this evening comes from Acts 1, verses 12 through 14. As we've gone through the book of Acts, gone through this series, we've noted that uh, Lord Jesus Christ has ascended up into heaven and he uh, sent forth the promise of the Holy Spirit. And now in verses 12 and 14, we see the response of the disciples to that promise and that ascension. So let's hear God's word this evening as we find it in Acts 1, verses 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. When you ask most people about how their spiritual life is doing, the most common response I've received is that people wish their prayer life was better. It's very rare to find someone who is content with where their prayer life is at. And I believe the dissatisfaction with our prayer life stems from a knowledge that our prayer life is, is weak compared to saints of the past. We yearn often to know the depth of communion with God that others have experienced. Read stories of men and women spending hours in prayer each day. Martin Luther once said that I have so much to do this day that I will spend the first three hours of it in prayer. Then we read of biblical characters and their prayer lives. We we saying of, of David rising each morning and praying to God. We read of Daniel's prayer life being known by the uh, Gentiles, where he would have set times uh, three times a day to pray to God. We read of Christ praying all night before he chose the twelve disciples. And then we read of this prayer meeting in our text it's interesting to, it's interesting that one of the first actions that we see the early church doing after Christ ascended is praying. And prayer was not just restricted to the men, but women were involved in the church's prayer life. Our text highlights that the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, joined the disciples in prayer. The entire church was engaged in prayer. And this was one of the first actions of the church after Christ ascended because the early church understood the importance of prayer. They understood the necessity of engaging in prayer. They knew that God was a God who answered prayer and understood that if the church was to grow, it must be engaged in the work of prayer. We go through the book of Acts and think about some of the hallmarks of the church, about what makes the church the church. 
we will see that, that part of what makes the church the church is that it prays. Prayer must have a fundamental place in the life of the church. And as we think about our own identity as a church here in Oklahoma City, we must include prayer in that identity. And so Acts 1 verses 12 through 14 calls us to engage in prayer as a church. It speaks to us that command, let us pray. Before we heed this call to prayer, we need to have a good understanding of what prayer is. So what is prayer? The simple definition is that prayer is communion and fellowship with God. Before Adam sinned, we we know that he walked and talked in the garden with his creator. We know that God had commanded Adam to name all the animals. And as Adam told God the names of all the animals he had created, we can imagine a time of, of sweet fellowship between man and the creator. But sin destroyed that relationship. Both Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden because of their sin. Adam could no longer walk with God in the cool of the day and converse with him. Sin created a great barrier between God and man. But God, in his grace, did not cut off communication with man when he sinned. God entered into covenant with man, and this covenant is the reason that we can now pray to God. God promised to redeem a people to himself and raise up a seed who would crush the head of a serpent. It is of God's grace that we do not see God saying, I don't want to talk with sinful man anymore. Man will die. God does not say that. Instead, we see God appearing throughout history, speaking directly to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to Solomon. And these men talked with God. This wasn't a a one-way conversation where, where God just spoke and man listened. No, man talked with God. Perhaps the most memorable instance of this is when Abraham went back and forth with God about the destruction of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, where, where Abraham is, is, in a sense, bargaining with God. Prayer is communication with God, is talking to the one who created and redeemed us. And as such, prayer is worship. This is borne out in our text if we pair it with the parallel passage in Luke 24, verse 52. In Luke 24, verse 52, Luke narrates what the disciples did immediately after Christ had ascended into heaven. There we read that the disciples worshipped Christ and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Coupling that with our text in Acts 1 verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. We see that prayer is an act of worship. It is blessing and praising God. It is worshiping God for who he is and what he has done. Prayer is also confession. In prayer, there ought to be a 
ready acknowledgement of our sinfulness. There ought to be a ready acknowledgement of God's holiness and righteousness, of God's perfect character. We, in our prayers, are conversing with the holy triune God. We, as sinful man, are conversing with the one who is in control of all things. That ought to be a humbling experience. And a humbling experience that, that drives us to worship. A humbling experience that drives us to pray those words of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts, even as we forgive our debtors. And prayer is also supplication. So prayer is worship, it's confession, but it is also supplication. And supplication has the idea of asking or petitioning God for various things. In our prayers, we worship God as well when we are bringing our needs to him. In asking God to forgive us our sins, to, to give us daily bread, to provide us with a job or with a spouse, we are saying, I can't do this. Lord, you are sovereign over all the affairs of my life. Care for me. I am not independent, but I am dependent upon your grace and mercy every day and every hour. Care for me as my Lord and Redeemer. You are God alone. I entrust you to my care, to your fatherly care, sorry. Since prayer is communion with God, since it is worship, since it is confession, and since it is supplication, faith is crucial to prayer. Without faith, prayer has no meaning. Faith transforms our prayers from mere words to communion with God. After all, without knowledge, without the knowledge of faith, we do not know who we are praying to. Without the assent of faith, there is no agreement with the promises and, and character of God. Without the trust of faith, there is no reason to pray to God. And this is where Roman Catholics are dreadfully wrong. They believe that God will hear their prayers for the many times they are repeated. This is why they need their, their rosaries, those necklaces or, or bracelets with their beads, so they can keep track of how many times they've said their Hail Marys or the Lord's Prayer. They think that they will be heard for their, their much speaking. But these are not the prayers of faith. These are the prayers of ritualism. Christ said in, in Matthew 6, verse 7, that when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Prayer, true prayer, must be accompanied by a living faith. Now that we have a, a short definition of prayer and, and, a, and something of a biblical theology of prayer, we can clearly articulate what prayer is because there's there's much confusion in the day in the world today about what prayer is almost 
Every religion incorporates something of prayer in it. Yet all these so-called prayers are counterfeits for the real communion with God that biblical prayer is. Biblical prayer is not us talking to ourselves. We live in a, in a materialistic world where the idea of speaking and having faith in a transcendent being is viewed as archaic and old-fashioned. So liberal Christians do away with a biblical understanding of prayer by saying that prayer is a form of, of speaking words of affirmation to myself, speaking positivity into my life. These types of prayer are devoid of faith and power. When we as Christians engage in prayer, we are not speaking to ourselves. We are communing with the creator of the universe. When the disciples prayed to God here in Acts chapter 1, they were praying to God. They were asking God to bless them to pour out His Spirit upon them, to give them strength and power and boldness as they went forth and proclaimed the gospel to an unbelieving world. Prayer is not speaking to ourselves. Nor is prayer just meditation or, or, or the saying of a mantra repeatedly. This is what Buddhists and Taoists believe when they say they practice prayer. It is a type of, of emptying, emptying the mind which brings about these counterfeit spiritual experiences. This type of spiritual experience has no concept of fellowship with God. And their prayers are not answered because they are not made to the one true God. Prayer is not just meditation. But we also live in a world that is expressing more and more interest in witchcraft and the occult. And so it is important to say that prayer is not some sort of incantation. When we pray, we are not speaking or willing things into existence by the sheer force of our own supposed spiritual power. Prayer does not have power because we have power. Prayer has power because when we with humble boldness pray to the one true God for the things he has commanded us to ask of him in the name of Jesus Christ, he as Lord of all will hear and answer our prayers. And he will hear and answer our prayers not for our own sake, but for the sake of of the Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ earned that blessing for us when he died on the cross, rose again, and ascended into heaven. Disciples would not have been able to pray if Christ had not ascended into heaven. But their salvation had been made complete when Christ ascended into heaven. Prayer has power because the God we pray to is all-powerful. As Christ said when he ascended into heaven, all authority has been given unto me. 
All authority. Christ has all authority. And therefore, our prayers have power. So what is prayer? Prayer is a salvation blessing that Christians get to enjoy. It is communion and fellowship with God himself. If you need to know why you should pray, what I said is is, is a greater reason. It is fellowship with God. It is fellowship with the God who has loved us. But I, I want to spend a little more time on this question of why we should prayer, pray. The simple, the simple answer to this question of why we should pray is because God has commanded us. Yet, even though God has commanded us to pray, we can, we can still wrestle experientially with the reasons to pray. We can wonder why the disciples prayed after Christ ascended. Why didn't they just go immediately proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ? Christ was, after all, reigning in heaven. Why? Why do they spend time in prayer? Well, going back to Acts 1, verse 4, we see that Christ had commanded the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. I spoke of that last time I preached from Acts. Prior to entering upon the work of gospel gospel proclamation, the disciples prayed to God to grant them the Holy Spirit. They prayed to Him to bless their labors and for His presence to go with them. Now Christ had promised that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And this was a sure promise. Not only had the disciples heard those words from Christ himself, but they had also, they also had the scriptures that testified to that pouring out upon all flesh. They had Joel 2, which says that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall dream dreams, and your old men shall see visions. They had that promise, and yet they still engaged in prayer. Why, if it was promised to them, would they go and pray for that promise? And this is an important question. When we talk about, about the struggles in our prayer lives, we will often confess to one another that we don't really see the point to prayer. After all, God knows our needs already. He knows our needs, and he's also promised to provide for our needs. He's promised to be a heavenly father and care for us. So why should we pray if it's already promised to us and God already knows? Well, the promises of God do not negate the need to pray. Rather, promises should encourage prayer. We believe in a sovereign God who is in control of all things. He has decreed everything, everything that has and will come to pass, as Bruce pointed out this morning. And he has also decreed to use certain means to bring things to pass. God does not just save people, but he uses the means of the faithful preaching of the word. God does not just make his people perfect, 
but is pleased to use the means of, of trials and difficulties as a means to their growth and sanctification, to conform them after the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Similarly, God does not just fulfill promises, but God does not just grant us blessing, but he fulfills promises through the means of the prayers of his people. Christ commands us to ask that it may be given us. We are to seek that we may find what we are looking for. We are to knock so that the door may be opened to us. In this life, we do not expect things to fall into our laps if we do not work for it. When we go to a friend's house, we do not just stand there at his front door and wait for him to suddenly come to the realization that his friend is standing at the, at the door. But no, no, we knock on the door and let him know that we are waiting and ready for him to open it. And Christ uses a parable to illustrate the point that God gives blessings to those who ask for them. In Luke 18, Christ tells this story of a widow who, who lived in a city with a judge who did not fear God. She went to that judge not once, not twice, but again and again. And this judge would, was not inclined to Listen to her. This woman was asking the judge to deliver her from, from some oppressor, to, to speak justice to this oppressor. And eventually, the judge answered the woman's request. He did bestow justice. But if the woman had never petitioned the judge for justice, it would never have been granted. Similarly, God will answer the requests of his people. Christ says at the end of that parable that God will certainly, certainly avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him. God will fulfill his promises for those who exercise faith in praying to him. Is that not an amazing blessing that God promises to answer our prayers? If we pray to God, he will certainly answer them. Is it not also an expression of our faith and the promises of God if we pray? Is it not an expression of our faith in the character and person of God if we pray to God? And prayer, diligent prayer, expresses our great desire for the gifts of God. A person who does not pray for the gifts of God does not express desire for those gifts or love or appreciation of those gifts or a love or appreciation of the one who gives those gifts. When a young man proposes to a woman and she says yes, they have, been, they have promised to be married to one another. The promise of fulfillment is off in the future. It's, it's on that, that wedding date. But in the days after their engagement, they do not stop talking to one another. 
They do not fall silent. They, they have already promised to be married on such and such and date, and, but they don't, they don't fall silent. Rather, they spend more and more time together. They plan their wedding. They talk about what married life will be. They, they express their love again and again to one another. They express their, their, their desire for, for this day, for this marriage day to be realized. They look with earnestness towards that day in the fulfillment of their promise to be married. And our prayers are similar. When we pray to God, we are expressing our great love to God. We are expressing our, our great desire that what God promises in His Word would be realized in our life. That He would pour out blessing upon us. That He, by His Spirit, would go forth with us. And so we ought to pray because God is pleased to answer our prayers. Prayers accomplish much. James says in James 5 verse 17 that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. There's a power to prayer. You'll never know that power unless you pray. You will never know the blessedness of prayer unless you pray. Prayer is work. It's hard work. And, and that's one reason we struggle with it in our, in our uh, lives. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. But it is a work that God is richly pleased to bless. If you would desire God's name to be glorified in Oklahoma City. We must be about the work of prayer. If you would desire people to come to faith in Christ, you must be praying for the Holy Spirit to be at work as the word is preached. If you would long for this church to grow in numbers and in holiness, you must be transformed yourselves by engaging in daily communion with God. You must spend time with the Holy God to grow in holiness. And so pray for God to grow you in zeal. Pray for God's name to be extolled among the nations. Let us pray. Now, evidently, those are already some encouragements to prayer. But I want to spend some more time on encouragements to pray. The disciples evidently engaged in prayer, not just uh, prior to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but we're going to come upon passage after passage throughout the book of Acts that speaks of the prayer lives of the disciples and how God was pleased to answer their prayers. We need encouragement in our own prayer lives. If you are to get anything from this sermon, 
I want you to know that prayer is truly a blessing that God gives His people. There's not much as sweet as the communion with God that comes through prayer. Matthew Henry, who is well known for his commentary on the whole Bible, also wrote a book on prayer. In that book, he reminds us of eight blessings that God gives us in prayer. And I want to spend the remainder of of the sermon going through these blessings and talking of them. First, when we pray, we are reminded that God is companion when we feel as though we are all alone. You feel as though friends and family have abandoned you. Turn to the God who promises to never leave you nor forsake you. Turn to the one who told the disciples before he ascended, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you feel like you are in the depths of hell, seek him in prayer. And you will find in him a heavenly comfort. As we engage in the work of church planting, we will be rejected by men. But Christ has gone before us. He was forsaken by all. Let us pray to him who will never forsake us. Second, when we pray, we're reminded that God is a counselor ready to direct our minds in the paths of his word and submit our wills to his will. Christ himself prayed to the Father in Gethsemane, petitioning the Father that if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We see the disciples as well again and again submitting themselves in prayer to the will of God. In our next passage in in Acts chapter 1, we'll see Peter speak right after these prayer meetings about from Scripture and the need for the election of a new apostle, a new disciple. They were submitting their wills to the will of God through prayer. A soul that goes through the trials of this life, who struggles with doubts and temptation, must engage in prayer to the great counselor. As we plant this church, we will be tempted to follow the wisdom of this world. We must engage in prayer to ever submit our wills to the will of the Father. Let us pray to this counselor. Third, when we pray, we are reminded that God is a comforter ready to gather all our tears in a bottle. He is one who knows our weaknesses and infirmities. He is one who became very man and wept when Lazarus died. No one else may understand what you are going through, but your God will understand. Share in prayer your deepest griefs and sorrows. He is a man 
of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He will hear and answer your prayers. He will comfort you with a comfort that no one else can give. We will encounter, as we plant a church here, many broken and destitute sinners. Let us pray, directing our minds and their minds to the God of all comfort. Fourth, when we pray, we are reminded that God is the shepherd who supplies all our needs. We have no need to find rest in any other. For he makes us to lie down in green pastures. We do not have lack of water, for he leads us beside still waters. He nourishes us with daily bread, such that David could say in Psalm 37, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. There will be people coming through the doors of the church with great needs. And so let us pray to our shepherd who abundantly supplies all of our needs. Fifth, when we pray, we are reminded that God is a a support for all our burdens. We can come unto him weary and heavy laden, weighed down by the cares of this life, pressed on every side by the temptations of this world, crushed under the accusing weight of our sin. But he takes those yokes from us when we pray to him, for he is gentle and lowly in her heart. He provides rest for our weary souls. Let's pray to the God whose yoke is easy. Sixth, when we pray, we are reminded that God is shelter for us in the midst of the storms of this life. Contrary to many preachers today, your life will not be easy. In fact, if you came to Christ thinking that the Christian life was going to be easy, you are dreadfully wrong. We're going to be coming to some very hard passages in the book of Acts. Passages that speak of severe persecution, of saints being dragged away, ripped from their families, of people being stoned to death, of great persecution. But in prayer, we can run to that great shelter of our soul, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, with the tender care of a mother hen, will protect his children. And he with the fierce and powerful might of a lion will fight against those who would seek to harm one of his children. Let us pray to God who is a shelter. Seventh, when we pray, we are reminded that God is our strength. In Acts 4, there is uh, another prayer meeting The disciples have just gone through a a time of persecution. So they gather together and pray to God for strength and boldness. And God answers their prayer in a very distinct way by sending an earthquake. But then 
In the next chapter, we read of them going forth with boldness, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray to God. We are reminded that God is our strength. When we feel weak in this life, the world says that you've got to look inside yourself for, for that inner strength. That you've, you've simply got to believe in yourself. That you've got to, to pick yourself up. But what a comfort it is for us that when we are weak, God is our strength. We can pray to the one who created the vast oceans and the mighty mountains to strengthen our weak hands and feeble knees. And we can know that he will answer that prayer. And so let us pray to the God who is our strength. And finally, when we pray, we are reminded of the sweet salvation that Christ has earned for us. Disciples had gone through a whirlwind. They'd seen Christ dragged away. They'd seen Christ hanging on that cross. They'd seen Christ dead and buried. But now they had seen him risen. They'd seen him ascend up into heaven. They had seen the one that, that for centuries the Israelites had looked for. They had seen the one who had purchased redemption for them. And we see him in God's word. And we get to pray to him. What a blessing that is. What a blessing it is that we in our prayers can know the sweetness of salvation that we have in Christ. Let us pray to our Savior who has showed forth his love towards us. Let us believe in our risen and ascended King. Let us believe that all power and all authority has been given him in heaven and on earth. And let us delight to commune with him in prayer. Let us pray to our God. Lord, we pray to you. We give you thanks for the salvation you have earned for us. We give you thanks that you have given us this, this blessing of prayer. That we can bring our petitions to you and know that you are a God who hears and answers prayer. Lord, we praise you that even though we sin against you, yet you have opened up this way for us to commune with you. We give you thanks, Lord, that for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can know that our prayers will be answered. Lord, we pray that you would ever help us to pray with boldness, that we would go regularly to that throne of grace, bringing our needs, bringing our petitions, bringing our praise, bringing our worship to you. 
who alone does reign over all things. Lord, teach us ever to pray. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.